Welcome to the Elevate podcast. My name is Sarah Hopkins. And I'm Amanda Noga, and these are conversations to elevate your health, relationships, and soul. Hey, it's Amanda. I'm quickly popping in to tell you about a special offer that you won't find anywhere else but here. So with the code ELEVATE, that's E-L-E-V-A-T-E, simply pop that in to receive your first month off free in Paths to You. And once you're inside, there's a suggestion of exactly how to start your journey. Of course, you can also choose your own adventure, create your own pathway, maybe starting with Ayurveda and discovering your dosha, maybe moving through the passion, power and purpose workshops, which is all about living a more meaningful life. And you'll have unlimited support through all of the embodiment and yoga practices. One of the most beautiful things about Paths to You is that you'll receive access to our free and private membership area, which is where your like-minded, like-hearted crew are hanging out And you'll also get access to my online class, which happens once a month, where you can ask me any questions that you might have about your practice, about health, and of course, soul alignment. So I hope you find this episode super elevating and I'll see you in paths to you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Elevate. And because Mandy and I are actually both getting married this year much to our surprise definitely much to our surprise we and we've been riffing about all of the concepts of marriage and how it sort of ties into one of our core themes which is really about relationships we thought that we would talk about marriage in the context of what it means to us um in the context of relationships and spirituality. Why we've resisted it in the past. Why we've resisted it, why we might still have resistances there. And and all of the things that I think are really pertinent to a lot of people that are in long-term relationships, whether they're mm. married or not. Yeah, the, the, the legally married bit is sort of an aside for me and for you, I think, as well. Like that has never been a big draw card for me. I've never really been... I've always said I'm more interested in babies than weddings. Me too, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And so being legally married for me wasn't a big big deal in a way. I mean, it was a big deal when it actually happened, but it has never been a big driver for me in relationships or in my, like, kind of life plan. Um, So that aside, but I do think long-term relationships is something really important in terms of our like soul development and our karmic ties to other people and all of that sort of stuff so that's very interesting to me and I think you know most of us are in committed relationships committed monogamous long-term relationships and you know it's worth thinking about and talking about or if you're not in one usually people are looking to be in one Yes, yes. And usually, hopefully, those relationships evolve us on some level. I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that most of those relationships will not be, or a lot of those relationships will not necessarily be a lifelong enduring thing. That's Mm, what the the statistics seem to play that out. Um, But it doesn't matter if there's an evolution, a soul evolution, or, you know, 
uh, an emotional evolution that occurs that, you know, I think yeah. that that's the most important part of, that we need to think about in the context of relationships. Yeah, I think a lot of people have had um, a marker of success of a relationship being that it is a long lifelong relationship and to me I think that that kind of needs to go that's just not actually true a marker of a successful relationship or a healthy relationship isn't necessarily how many years you stay together but yeah how you grow and evolve together and that might mean that you're together for three five seven years or it might mean that you're together for 40 years or maybe a lifetime maybe some people are meant to be together for a lifetime and other people are not you know it's not there's not one way for a successful relationship to look so let's talk about marriage for a minute because i think it's interesting that both of us actually didn't believe or or yeah didn't believe in the construct of marriage as we saw it and we are both literally months away from getting married sorry about the helicopter sound as you know we're recording this season in bali and rather than apologizing for crickets and geckos i'm now apologizing for aircraft so uh yeah i guess let me share a little bit about my own perspectives on marriage the marriage uh, industry yeah well i guess i think the reason that mandy and i have probably been pondering this and sharing some of those thoughts is probably because we're both about to get married so it's making me really think hard about what it is that I reflect even more on what I believe is marriage and like you Mandy for me having children was more important and obviously Mickey and I definitely decided to do that you know long before we have decided to get married although I did when I was younger, sort of fantasize about getting married first. But that wasn't really about the marriage and about the relationship. That was about the wedding day. The party. The, the bride. It was about being a princess bride. Mm. I think that's something that we are really um, culturally encouraged to fantasize about. And obviously the wedding industry is capitalizing on that en masse. So, but if I think back to my early childhood, I remember telling my grandmother that I was definitely never going to get married and definitely not having children and for some reason my grandmother loved to write down phrases flippant phrases that we might have said particularly I might have said as a child and remind us slash me of them constantly and so I remember my grandmother constantly telling me that I wasn't getting married and I think I potentially internalized that because but also, I witnessed a very, very dysfunctional marriage in my parents, and both of my parents went on to have um, failed marriages after their first marriages. So, Do you think that was why you were like, I'm not getting married, That's that doesn't look like a good time? Well, I don't know at what age I actually started saying that to my grandma, but there must... I'm, I'm guessing my parents divorced when I was nine, so if it was even slightly younger than that, I would have been seeing a really shitty marriage. So I think the modelling of marriage for me has never been particularly good. So I I don't think I really believed in marriage because I didn't believe that it was possible to have a functioning, healthy, loving, cohesive relationship that was also sort of 
marriage. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so now, and I think that that is why I actually have done it the other way around. Yeah, well, you're redefining like what marriage means to you and looks like to you. Exactly. So for me, a a child is a much stronger and more definite commitment than the act of walking down the aisle or whatever it might be and saying some vows to each other. So for me, the marriage ceremony is a nice ceremony and a nice way to celebrate my relationship with Iggy, but it's sort of secondary to what is already present. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. What about you? Um, Well, kind of opposite story. My parents are still together. I would say they have a pretty, like, healthy, happy marriage. And Mark as well, his parents have been married for 45 years. So we are both kind of coming to this uh, with some kind of resistance around the marriage construct even though both of us have been modelled pretty nice, healthy marriages. How ironic and interesting. I know, weird. Like, I've, I've never been interested in getting married. Mark's the same. And then as soon as we met and, like, really met, we were talking about getting married within, like, the first week. It's so crazy. And we were both like, this is so weird. I've never felt this way before. And it was just totally different. And it wasn't ever about for me being a princess bit I actually don't I, that is the bit that makes me feel anxious I'm like oh my god I don't mm. want everyone to be looking at me and I mm. have to stand up there and say vows and mm. I remember going to other friends weddings in years past and watching them do the whole thing and just almost having like an anxiety attack going oh my god I, <laughs> I do not want to do that ever like yeah. that is a nightmare yeah like every part of me is just going into contraction going oh my god I do not want to do that and so anyway now I do feel like it is something really beautiful that I want to like yeah create a ceremony that feels like us and that is a way for me of stating our intention to our family and our friends but also to like the universe and being like we are making this commitment we are here as two souls coming together and you know entering into this union and we want your support blessings yeah Mm. so that's kind of where i'm at now but yeah it definitely brings up all kinds of questions of like what does that actually mean to me and then i'm like deliberately questioning every single detail of our wedding ceremony and be like why are we doing that yes with the alcohol thing yeah why are we doing the vows like why all these things that are kind of like a given with a standard marriage or a standard wedding I should say I'm really questioning like is that true for us like is that something that we want to bring into our thing yeah um but we actually got legally married ages ago um it'll be like yeah probably I don't know six or more months between our legal marriage and our actual ceremony eight months it will be yeah so we got legally married because i mean in the long run being married under u.s law this is like the nitty-gritty of boring details but this is what it was to me it was just like oh paperwork details legal legalities like old school patriarchy structures this doesn't actually resonate with me at all but 
you know, we live in this world. So we got legally married because, yeah, basically in the future, if we want to live in the US or we want to live in Europe or we want to live in Australia or whatever, wherever we choose to kind of eventually land. You need to. We need to be legally married Otherwise in terms of visas Otherwise you live in the stuff. same country. Exactly. Yeah. So that was sort of like a details, very pragmatic thing that we wanted to do and we did that and it actually was a really beautiful day and a beautiful ceremony even though it was quite weird and in a courtroom and (laughs) very just you know US legal oh it's just weird 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 but anyway that is a totally different vibe to the ceremony that we want to create that is you know a true reflection of us and it feels more of like yeah as like I said like an intention stating to the universe yeah but there's so many things like i wanted to ask you are you going to change your name so so many people have asked me this and i think that you know this must well again my mum didn't change her name when she married my dad which was super progressive for 70s um because she's like a crazy feminist and so maybe not crazy but she's a feminist and she was a professional psychologist and she had already a professional identity that she didn't want to compromise which is exactly the same as me um so but Iggy is like an old school Italian male um and so he's like of he's like I won't marry you unless you take my name so my compromise is I will. So to be entirely honest and a little bit vulnerable, I don't want to change my name. But to appease well, my... I read um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Committed. Me too. Ages ago. Yes, before I was even with Mark, before I was even thinking about getting married, I was yes. actually thinking about not getting married. Yes. And she breaks down in that book all about, you know, the reason why marriage existed back in the day and why we because still change our names. Because women had no power then yeah, unless they were married. Yeah, we were owned. Yeah. And that was like a way of um, making very clear who our new owner was. Yeah, So exactly. it I remember does that feel book. weird to change your name. It does feel like I feel like my name is who I am. You know, and I feel like that is my tie to my family and to my mum and my dad. Well, actually, not my mum because she doesn't have that name, but to my dad, to my brothers and sister. You know, that's to all of the Hopkinses that came before me. You know, I don't know. There feels like that's that feels really important to me too. Mm. And I don't feel like I need to be a Bonomo, but then there's another part of me that wants to have the same name as my son because yeah, I thought about that too like I and and you know I suppose you will or well, I don't know what you're going to do I'll ask you in a minute but you know that does feel like oh, but I want to be connected to him so mm-hmm. I have this I feel conflicted and I've found the solution but I feel pulled between you know connecting on a name level with my son and and staying connected on a name level with my family and Mm -hmm. I've never even articulated that before or even really been able to so my compromise is to change it on some formal documents like my driver's license god I hope I don't have to change it on my passport because that means oh god okay so I'm going to change it on those things so that my name on so that your legal identity is Sarah Bonomo exactly but 
my business operations and who I think of myself Your social identity will be thank you will be Shopkins <laughs> Sarah Shopkins Hopkins Hill. because I have built a seven-year business um, and beyond that in in my other careers and in my social life and I just identify with that still yeah so what about you? Are you changing your name? No, I don't want to do any more paperwork. <laughs> if someone, if Mark really wanted me to change my name, I would be like, cool, do you, you can do the paperwork. That's maybe my I'll main get, aversion to it. And maybe I'll get Iggy to do the paperwork. I hate paperwork. <laughs> I hate paperwork. I already have to fill enough fucking visa forms and immigration stuff on a weekly basis. I hate forms. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, I mean... Yeah, I don't... If Mark really wanted me to, then it would be a different story. But he's like, do whatever he you feel. Care. Like, I don't want to own you. He doesn't really... He doesn't care. So, I don't care. I asked him if he thought his family would care, like his parents. But he doesn't think they'll care at all. And mm. I don't imagine them caring. Mm. Um, so, no. I don't think so. So... But with the kid situation... I would like our future child to have both of our names and so to have Noga a laws. Noga laws. Noga laws. Laws Noga. Maybe we can make Noga a blend. laws. Noga laws. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> but then the kid ultimately just chooses whatever name they do, and they drop. You know, and that to me doesn't really bother me. If they don't choose to be a Noga, I don't. I mean, it's hard to say because I'm not in that moment. Maybe I would feel upset if they didn't choose my name. Mm. I don't know. I just don't know. But I don't think I would care. To me, it's a bit arbitrary. Like, to me, like you said, you know, you, your identity is Sarah Hopkins. Same thing with me, I guess, in a way. Like, my business name, my social identity is Amanda Noga. But I don't feel, like, super attached to that necessarily. Well, let me tell you something about the experience of motherhood. So ever since I've started to have to perhaps register RAF in anything, so if I go to daycare and I'm filling out a form for daycare and I'll write mother, Sarah Hopkins, and say I don't have to write the father's name and then I have to write my son's name as Raphael Valentino Bonomo, beautiful name, it looks like he's no relation to me. Yeah. And I know that that seems like really subtle and obscure and maybe not um, really yeah, important. A- but over time, when you see your two names together and they're not the same, it, I don't know. It's mm. such a weird phenomenon, but it feels – it doesn't feel right. Have it feels you asked like, your mum how she felt about having a different name than you? No. I mean, I know. I know she said, I didn't want to take his name. I don't identify as a Hopkins you know but then i also look at that and think is that sort of a prediction of the ultimate sort of unraveling of that relationship that you weren't even committed enough to take his surname but is that i mean that sounds so patriarchal and yeah like i said i don't want to take iggy's surname either so it's not it's not about iggy so much and about that name it's more about my son but yeah i've mm. never asked my mum Ask your that, mom, I reckon. Yeah. I think if I had a surname that I didn't like, then I would maybe change. <laughs> Just no. like up level to a better yeah. surname. That would be a motivation for me. Yeah. But I kind of like my surname because it rhymes with yoga. 
Yeah, I think yes. <laughs> it's cool. So let's come back to the wedding for a minute because I want to share a little bit on my a little bit of my perspectives on this as well. Like I think we have quite different yeah, perspectives on the party. Like to be honest, I would be happy to not get married. So for me the ceremony I suppose again because we have a child, we yeah. have a mortgage, we have all these um, commitments and like bonds. Yeah, like one commitment is a lifelong commitment, whether we stay together or not. We will be in each other's lives because we have already created one life together. Yeah, and then the other commitment is a contractual commitment that is, you know, confirmed and, you know, concrete tight until we unlock it and the unlocking of it is the same as a divorce you know like it's very solid so we already have all of these societal sort of constructs that are embedding the longevity of our relationship so when we first got engaged I actually wasn't sure if I was getting married at all or if we would just sort of stay engaged but everybody was like, you need to get married. And it was like a, it was like a freight train that took over. <laughs> but it is pretty funny to think that you're just going to stay engaged forever. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a bit weird. It was like the, <laughs> it was like the, the, the commitment was there. There was a ring on the finger. We didn't really need that ultimate ceremony. I did you know? meet an old older couple the other day, like a couple in their 60s. And they, we were talking about this, and they actually said that they chose to stay engaged through their whole life because it felt more fun. Yeah. And more, yeah. like, romantic yeah. to be fiancés rather than to be husband and wife. Yeah, I so love that. Cute. I love that. And I think, you know, in the creation of my wedding, my brief is the vows have to be meaningful to us. And a, a little bit of reverent, is that the right word? They have to be fun and light and maybe picking on each other in a way that we would do in our relationship. Like, that's important to me. And then beyond that, the wedding is about everybody having a really good time together to celebrate. It is ultimately about celebrating us. Yeah. But that's the brief. And I was actually telling one of my brothers this and he was like, that doesn't sound like a wedding that sounds like a party well, that's what <laughs> and it I is. was like yes sorry if you don't approve of that but you've I've nailed the brief then because yeah. and I think coming back to part of that ultimate already commitment is that I'm not doing this with an intention to in inverted commas settle down after start to breed after sorry to use that word you know that's done so for us it can be lighter it yeah. can be a real let's enjoy this all the hard stuff or all the big scary stuff it's all done yeah so yeah that's and that's your helping. wedding's going to be so much more fun than mine no it's not yours is going to be irreverent and mine's going to be like super reverent yours but yours is going to be like super spiritual <laughs> <laughs> and mine's going to be like, let's drink amazing French champagne and dance all I night. I can't wait. So, <laughs> yes. But I think that that's helped me to reconcile my deep fear of marriage. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to make it your own. Yeah. Um, something that comes up a lot 
for not only my one-on-one clients but with friends as well is a question about how to navigate a relationship when one person is quote-unquote spiritual or healthy or you know on a particular path and the other person the relationship is not into health or spirituality or any of this kind of consciousness elevating stuff oh my god that is literally something that i hear every single day from so many people yeah i think it's a massive thing that especially women have to deal with because usually it's the woman the woman who's on the path and the dudes are kind of just living their normal (laughs) ignorantly blissful life (laughs) Um, definitely so yeah i mean where to start i think well i can share a little bit of my perspective because you you have an uber spiritual amazing deity of a husband who is actually he's actually a human as well he's he's a god he's like a god on so many levels (laughs) oh my god mark i hope you're listening to this i hope he's not listening (laughs) you'll be going yes anyway so you know i have a normal dude as my partner and you know i guess when i first met him i was like oh wow you know you're italian you eat 500 grams of gluten or more every single day and drink beer and do all of these things and I suppose I did what I feel is a very cliched piece of advice but actually I did it unintentionally and it has worked beautifully I said I'm doing me and this is what I do and Iggy said okay I'll do it too Wow. But I don't think that's very common. And what I... Yeah, you're, you're probably right. The common right. path is that the chick... And I've done this in the past. The, the, the woman in the relationship tries to convince the dude, yes. come to yoga. Hey, let's go to this healthy food seminar. Hey, let's go and get a green smoothie or go to the farmer's market. And they are not vibing off it. Yeah, but see, the, they're thirsty. They're mm. they're pushing. I didn't do that. I, I just, know that's why it worked well for you because you weren't pushing exactly. So that's the point. It's so hard, and I I think I the, and I learned this the hard way. So my prior relationship before the engagement was with this guy, who we were so compatible, and I I literally thought that we were going to get married, and everybody in my whole family and friends we all did, and. But he was a horrendous binge drinker, would like just drink himself into a stupor on the weekends. And I desperately wanted him to come along on the journey with me. And I, I actually, in during, so I was a binge drinker as well when I met him and not as on my health path because this was sort of early 30s, early to mid 30s. And so I desperately tried to convert him to what I was doing, which is exactly what you were explaining. I, you know, asked him to change his diet. I suggested we don't drink as much. I basically just tried to change him and tried Mm. to make... Impose. Yeah. And that broke up. That was ultimately why we ended the relationship. He ended the relationship because he felt smothered by me. And I was okay with that ending, actually, because it wasn't... I, I knew that it wasn't the right fit. And he, I think he might still be 
drinking like that and certainly you know we I weren't think it's right a maturity for each other. thing though like when you are older you sort of can stand in your thing a bit more like you said and you just you do you you know what works for you and you can kind of just be studying that and you're not necessarily having to change everyone around you to fit that mold because you just know what works for you yes definitely but I yeah and I think also certainly on my entire health journey I was very preachy for many oh, many years same. I mean you know? we're still preaching right now on this podcast I don't think so. But but no, I was so dogmatic and preachy. Oh, so dogmatic. Everybody had to be gluten-free. Everybody had to be paleo. They were all just killing themselves. I was right. They were wrong. You know, everybody needed to be like me. It was so... And he he bore the brunt of that. So I suppose you're right. It, It takes time to sort of transcend the dogmaticness that probably a lot of people are experiencing and wanting to impose and also like when you are first on the journey or you know yeah of health or yoga or whatever it might be that's floating your boat you get really excited and passionate about it and you want to share it with the person that you're with and be like oh my god this is making me feel so good i want you to experience that too but also i think we can sort of start to romanticize the idea that because what we're doing when we're projecting that sort of you must do the same things as me is that we're trying to replicate ourselves in the other Mm -hmm. you know if you found mr perfect yogi spiritual loving the same things as you be bored well sometimes you know like that wouldn't necessarily be well i always said like i don't want to be with a yoga guy because it's already taking over my whole life. My mm. my practice is yoga. My work is yoga. I travel for yoga. You know, I'm just this one-dimensional yoga, yoga, yoga girl. Yeah. So I always said, I don't want to be with the yogi guy. Boring. But now that I'm with Mark, I'm like, of course I have to be with a yoga guy. We just speak the same language. But in saying that, our yoga practices look radically different and our perspectives on yoga are actually quite different as well. So it's still like... I think there's a lot of contrast. I think there still needs to be contrast, you know. Like, I think I would love Iggy to be more spiritual because he's not super spiritual, you know. But everything that he has done and changed for me has been through a process of me not nagging him about it. And I think what – and this is what, you know, ultimately I share with students as well is, like, if your values align – it doesn't really matter if he's drinking green smoothies or is reading spiritual books or doing the yoga or whatever. Like you and Iggy, your core values are totally aligned and match up. So, you know, the surface level stuff about what body products this other person uses. Like I even, this is not about marriage, but, you know, I once lived with a girl and when I went to do the house inspection for like to be her roommate, I was like looking in the fridge and looking in the bathroom and I was like, awesome like we use all the same products meaning like she's on the same page in terms of like health and well-being but we lived together and it was a fucking nightmare because she was a little bit cray cray and our basically our core values didn't align you were incompatible totally even though we were you know seemingly on the same page at a surface level so i think it's totally important to exactly do what you said and not be the preachy dogmatic that doesn't work it just actually creates more resistance and pushes the other person away and sometimes acceptance of what is 
it provides the opportunity for that change to occur totally that's like a core thing in order for any change to occur is to accept the current circumstance and that applies to yep every single aspect of our life but honing in on relationships here actually cultivating that acceptance and compassion for the other person is the bigger practice like that's the more important part of the relationship than um you know that's the actual practice of the yoga rather than and that's the core practice of every relationship like to pull this right back to sort of relationships you know like it's hard to accept people as they are because we want to either change them or they are not meeting our expectations on some level or whatever it is and I know I think that we should do a separate episode on relationships at some point because you know I often think about some of my other personal relationships with siblings and things that are complicated and you know it is a lack of um, acceptance and uh, unmet expectations and all of those things that just ultimately derail any relationship whether it's love expectations ruin relations expectations ruin relations completely but you know all of our relationships whether it's an intimate relationship or a sibling relationship co-working relationship they're all just reflecting each other we're all just being mirrors to each other and so whatever shit there is for you or for me to to work on within ourselves and to clear within ourselves and to look at that's going to come up in the other person that's what relationships are for they are bigger spiritual teachings (laughs) they're our relationships especially the person that we're intimate with and building a life with and having a family with they are our biggest spiritual teacher there's no denying that fact so you know that's really why we're in relationships in the first place but i do want to talk this this episode is going to be long yeah but i want to talk about monogamy and yeah polyamory so many people in bali particularly i mean i think in the left kind of neo-tantric yoga world polygamy is a huge prevalent thing everyone's doing it wow okay did you know that no Oh, it's it's very common now. But I don't move in those circles. No, but I mean, do normal, like non neo tantric people is open relationships part of their kind of conversation in mainstream people's life? Well, I I think of myself as fairly mainstream. I don't mean that. In no, no, no. <laughs> so basic. No, no, no. I know you didn't. But like, I was thinking, I'm not entirely mainstream. I'm a little bit on the fringes, but I still dance with the mainstream because everyone in my family lots of my friends my partner they're all living in the mainstream uh no not in my world i feel like in europe maybe it's a bigger conversation i feel like i've heard it discussed that it seems to creep into some of the relationship based podcasts that i've come across as a curious inquiry so it must be informed by something that's happening in the culture yeah but i'm i'm not it's it's not in my um culture it's not it's not somewhere visible that i can see it so that's interesting to me so on more of like a biological evolutionary basis you believe that we are not monogamous beings right well yes i have to say that you know i have not read sex at dawn 
I have listened to the author of Sex at Dawn and I can't remember what his name is, but we'll link in the show notes. But basically he observes Bonomo and apparently they're the genetically, the most genetically close to us. Um, ape. Uh, ape? Chimpanzee? I don't know. Um, you get my gist. But basically, you know, they are extremely non-monogamous and are polyamorous. Yes. And so, I mean, that's that was just an interesting perspective from someone that had done a lot of research around it that sort of confirmed my intuition. Mm. And you like all that kind of Neanderthal <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Maybe it's my, a throwback to my deeply dogmatic paleo times. But, you know, I think that the concept of monogamy has been mostly derived from religion and is is mostly a construct of religion and it, it served its purpose at a time. Um, but I think that we, I think that probably, I've thought about this recently, we, we are probably designed to be serial monogamists. But I'm not sure if we are designed to have one partner and be with that partner for the entirety of our lives. Yeah, I think that goes back to what we said in the very beginning, which is some people's relationship is meant to and has the potential to last a lifetime and other people will only be together for a few years and that can be a totally whole, complete, successful relationship, even if they break up. I do have one other thing to say about um, sort of ancestral... So... um, Years ago, or in some of the more indigenous tribes, there was this thing. So they didn't understand biology or human biology like we did. So they believed that um, they that the all of the sperm like germinated inside, and all of the best qualities from all of the men would turn into that would sort of manifest into one child that possessed all of those qualities. So they actually a lot of original indigenous tribes, our ancestors would have sex with all of the different men in the tribe so that one was a good hunter and one was a good this and and that the child would inherit all of those qualities. So they didn't understand that. So ultimately that is not monogamy. It's not like choose one guy and get... They thought that they were all going to bestow good qualities on them. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting sort of historical point. Yeah, and there are lots of cultures around the world still currently that um have polyamorous relationships or maybe not maybe polyamory is not quite the right word but open particularly more for the man to have multiple wives super common still in a lot of places yeah but those ones are based on i mean maybe i'm wrong with what you're thinking but like if you're talking about like Abrahamic and Muslim where I feel like that's just religious. There are some religious but there are some tribal cultures as well quite a lot of tribal cultures as well that live in this constructed kind of relationship dynamic and it can go the other way as well where like what you were saying the women are sleeping with multiple men but from a yogic and I, I guess more spiritual evolution perspective We are put together in relationships or we come together in relationships to, like you said, in a serial monogamy kind of style to come together to be committed and to create a container within our relationship 
where we feel safe, we feel secure to open our hearts, to fully receive and to give love. And like we were saying at breakfast, love reveals all that is unloved within us. Mm. And I think that's such an important teaching. This is an old old school teaching from a yogi called Adidas. Uh, you know, that's really what I feel and fully believe is our relationships bring us together so that we can work out all of our deeper kind of karmic stuff and to ultimately experience what it is to give and to receive love fully and to express it fully that is our nature our our true nature is love all there is is love like all the cliches are true and that's what these monogamous relationships help us to experience because there is a container of safety where we can go deep with one person fully experience trusting them and being seen being met by the other as we are whole and complete fully accepted and the practice of accepting the other which is kind of what we were saying before definitely so i think monogamous relationships are really important if you do want to go deep and grow through those relationships if we are bouncing around monog- uh, polyamory style open relationship style i i'm gonna say the potential to go deep and really deeply experience that giving and receiving is just not there yeah i think that polyamorous thing that i think you're referring to is problematic it's problematic and because well in theory it could work in practice exactly usually there is one person this is what i've seen time and time again with friends and clients is there's usually one person in the relationship that is doing it for the other Mm. meaning saying yes to a polyamorous or open relationship so that the other person will stay with them which is sacrificing their own needs at the expense going back to self-worth so that is majorly problematic and i think you know as a culture we've kind of messed up the whole concept of monogamy and marriage with all of these impositions of yeah the patriarchy basically but at its core being in a monogamous and committed relationship is where the real work happens and the real joy and the real love so and it also teaches us compassion compassion is really true love you know after all of the fireworks and the sparkles and the butterflies die away it's, it's i feel yeah. sad about thinking of butterflies dying away <laughs> but anyway at the kind of after that honeymoon phase is played out maybe it lasts for even five years for some people for some couples at the end of the day cultivating compassion is true love that's long longevity love is being compassionate and accepting of the other and i think also and this has just come to me but in a world where we're not living in tribes and we're not in communities where we're sharing responsibilities and there is men and women to nurture and lead and mentor and guide and do all of those things we need and i'm not saying that this is what will be for everybody but it seems that in these sort of more isolated modern families of three or two or four or whatever we children really need a mother and a father or two, or two parents ideally that really love them and even if they're in a same-sex relationship um, partnership 
you know, if their parents are same sex, you know, whatever that opposite gender is, they need this, like the research is pretty conclusive with this. There are lots of experts about this. They need that opposite sex um, mentor. So, you know, it doesn't have to be parents, but we need male and female mentors around us. And so being in a monogamous relationship is helpful to really cultivating for, for children, I'm talking about now, so in, in terms of parenting, is helpful for cultivating a really secure um, well-adjusted, well high self-worth human. I think, though, when you talk about the fact that we're not living in tribes anymore, the fact is we're placing way too many roles onto one person and too many expectations onto, say, the husband or the wife or, you know, whatever as you said whatever the gender might be is sort of irrelevant to us but expecting your partner to be your best friend your your business partner your co-parent your chef confidant <laughs> you know your... playing all those roles that is not healthy either and that's not how we would have been living when we were having these more communal styles of living no apparently you know again this is sort of anecdotal but we the women would stay together and obviously the men were sometimes hunting we would have our emotional needs being met entirely by the women that we were communing with so but now that because we're isolated and because I think there's been a romanticization of the monogamous married relationship or you know partnered relationship you know now it is expected like you said that all of those needs need to be met by that one person and I think in terms of managing a successful long-term relationship knowing or practicing not expecting that from that one person is highly highly powerful in maintaining you know its longevity as well you know I don't need to get my deep spiritual soulful conversations from Iggy because I've got you (laughs) we never shut up but you know I've also got lots of other friends and 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 there are so many different people in my life that can be different things so he can be that big strong protector and cooker of delicious food and beautiful playful father for Raph and then lots of his other things that you know I might like him to be I can get from other people totally I think that's more balanced and more and I, healthy and, yeah, it's going to lead to more longevity. And I think that if someone was struggling with the whole how do I get him to drink green smoothies and come to yoga, that maybe that's a really simple starting point solution is look around, do you have a tribe of other yogis, other green smoothie drinking <laughs> people that you can go hang with to scratch that itch or to get that cup filled? Yeah. Um, I just want to quickly talk about the Ayurvedic dosha perspective on relationships because I think this is really interesting. So as we all know, we have these Ayurvedic doshas and we're all made up of these elements and being in relationship is one way that we can cultivate balance or get into imbalances. I don't really like the word imbalances, but you get what I mean. So there's kind of two schools of thought. As I was saying, all relationships are here to help us grow and evolve and if you are in a relationship with someone with a similar dosha constitution as you so you know one of your doshas might be matching or both you might be super super similar then the way that you guys are going to grow and evolve in your relationship and in your 
individual selves as well is through the support and the enabling from that partner so if you're let's just say as an example you're both strong pitters you're going to help each other because you're both super driven motivated you get each other and you support each other fully in that aspect what the tendency is for that relationship or maybe the potential challenge is that we are I guess enabling the imbalances or the potential for that to get excessive as well so that's like both sides of the coin versus if you're in a relationship with someone that is the opposite dosha to you or you're quite different in your constitutions then you are helping each other grow and evolve through the dissonance through the healthy kind of friction that's there from being yes slightly different elementally to each other so as an example if one person's super kapha and the other person's super vata you're going to not match up on a whole lot of stuff you're going to be having different work styles different exercise styles probably different diet definitely different diet different energy levels different requirements for sleep exactly everything so there's going to be a lot of difference there and that's how you're helping each other grow and evolve and it's through the understanding and accepting of the other person's needs that we grow and if we think about i might just use my partnership as an example here to help people think about their own as well so Iggy is Peter Kaffa or Kaffa Peter I'm not sure you would probably know Amanda and I am Peter Vata so we have a bit of mutual fire uh, and motivation and ambition and drive or energy whatever that might be but then we have those diametrically opposed doshas or um, body types or types you know and so he's earthy kapha really helps to bring my highly strong highly nervous and actually his utter sort of his mantra to me for the first couple of years of us being together was relax 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 that was like the ultimate expression of like his kapha and my vata and i yeah i i just remember thinking oh my god that is so true because i'm not relaxed like i'm quite sort of a highly strung naturally highly strung person so i guess that's an, an example but your lightness and your spontaneity and you know ever moving in nature that also helps him not to become stagnant and stuck and heavy in his ways yeah definitely so it's it's interesting because yeah all of these relationships can work and i guess the my advice is just to understand your individual dosha and the dosha of your partner because that's going to help you to yeah understand their needs and their wants and be able to meet each other and support each other in that way so this is getting long this is going to be a two-part podcast no let's just do it all in one okay so do you have a recommendation Yes, I have two recommendations, actually. Okay. So my first recommendation is going to be a podcast, and it's actually a podcast interview with the author of Sex at Dawn, mm. and it's Pete Evans interviewing him, which I think I've recommended a Pete Evans podcast before because he has really cool, really interesting, pretty original. Oh, I love Pete Evans for his, yeah, radical honesty. So that's the first one. I can't remember his name, so I'm going to link in the show notes, but it's a Pete Evans podcast. 
And yeah, he's the author of, like you said, the book Sex at Dawn, which is a good good read. Which as is well. a good read too. So we'll obviously link to the show notes. And I'm also going to recommend a book that probably will be a recommendation for both of us, and it is the Liz Gilbert book, Committed. Mm. Commitment? Yeah, I think it's committed. I think it's committed, and it's yeah. got a picture of two rings on the front. And I also read it, and it also informed some of my opinions about marriage and mm-hmm. about committed relationships. So I think that that's, um, if this is something that's interesting to you, it's worth reading that. What about you? A book that really helped me understand relationship dynamics is um, a book called Enlightened Sex by David Data. It's not just about sex and intimacy, but it's really about the energies of masculine and feminine that we all have, you know, beyond gender. And understanding that, I think, is really helpful in managing especially if you are in no actually i was going to say especially if you're in a um long-term relationship long-term relationship yeah and um heterosexual relationship but actually it applies to yeah it applies to everybody because it's about the energy it's not about gender at all um and i think that book is also really helpful in understanding all relationships like even you know mother-daughter relationship Mm. It helps in that regard. So I think that's my recommendation. Great. And I think that that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elevate. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. For any further updates with me, you can come along and follow me at Instagram. I'm at at Shopkins Health. And if you'd like to stay tuned with me throughout the week, I'm at yoga underscore alchemy on Instagram. And what we would love right now is if you can hit subscribe, leave us some stars, leave us a few words, any questions or feedback we love to read. So keep it coming and have an amazing day. Hey, it's Amanda. I'm quickly popping in to tell you about a special offer that you won't find anywhere else but here. So with the code ELEVATE, that's E-L-E-V-A-T-E, simply pop that in to receive your first month off free in Paths to You. And once you're inside, there's a suggestion of exactly how to start your journey. Of course, you can also choose your own adventure, create your own pathway, maybe starting with Ayurveda and discovering your dosha, maybe moving through the passion, power and purpose workshops, which is all about living a more meaningful life. And you'll have unlimited support through all of the embodiment and yoga practices. One of the most beautiful things about Paths to You is that you'll receive access to our free and private membership area, which is where your like-minded, like-hearted crew are hanging out And you'll also get access to my online class, which happens once a month, where you can ask me any questions that you might have about your practice, about health, and of course, soul alignment. So I hope you find this episode super elevating and I'll see you in paths to you.